0: We, we are in our Easter series. The reason I say it's spring is because now we're in our Easter series. We're taking a break from our Old Testament, uh, every book of the Old Testament in, 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 in order. And we're now in an Easter series looking through the Gospel of John in a series we've entitled, So That You May Have Life. And so we'll be in the, the Gospel of John looking at that theme of God as the one who gives life through Jesus Christ. Amen? What a series this is going to be. What fun we're going to have in the Gospel of John. It's going to be exciting. And it's going to lead up to the to the main text of Scripture that Christ gives life. John 20, 30 and 31 is what we will preach on on Easter Sunday, so you can be in prayer and meditating over this verse, and be in prayer for this verse as we come up to Easter, Uh, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, amen? Amen? That, that phrase at the end sometimes gets neglected, so that you may have life in his name, right? We, we focus all of our attention and our focus on so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, but by believing, you may have life. So we're going to focus on that the next six weeks, and I thought as we begin our series, we might start out um, with a little bit of fun. Um, a concept in our world today is is this idea of someone sucking the life out of you, right? You, you guys all know someone in your life, hopefully not in this church, hopefully not me, but uh, that sucks the life out of you, right? Uh, you have this idea that you're around this person and you just feel, oh, drained, exhausted. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm going to give you uh, seven people which suck the life out of you, okay? These seven people, hopefully it's not one of us, but you can examine our own hearts and that's okay, but uh, hopefully it's not me and don't look to the person next to you. Seven people who suck the life out of you, the narcissist, all right, what is this? This is the person who everything is about me. Right, always a desiring the attention, recognition, and really an inability to love. The narcissist. This is opposite of the gospel. Why? Because Christ gives His life for others. Hmm. He looked to others' interest in taking on flesh, dwelling among men, and then dying on the cross. All right, number two, people who suck the life out of you, the critic. These critics, they know and they understand all things. Nothing is ever good enough for them. You guys know that person, right? Christ says, come to me as you are. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How about this one? The life sucker is the talker, never listening, just dumping their information, garbage, into your can. Never able to hear or listen to you, okay? Right? You guys know these people. What does the gospel say? Christ hears our suffering. He goes to us in our weakness taking on flesh and dwelling among us to die upon the cross. How about the victims? So we have the narcissist, the critic, the talker, the victim. The victim, the woe is me, Eeyore person. I've been abandoned. I've been marginalized. I've been forgotten. The victim often feels is that they're getting the raw end of the deal. Yet Christ takes the raw end of the deal, takes the punishment we deserve, not abandoning the sinner who is left to die, yet taking their place the victim, the controller number five it got it got real it got real quiet in here recently, okay I'm sorry it, 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 this meant to be light not not uh not intense the controller. They try to control every area of life. They manipulate into thinking all you need is them. You see, Christ comes not making people believe he is God, rather declaring the truth about who he is and saying choose life or choose death. He doesn't make people come to believe in him. He declares who he is and, it says, choose life or choose death. The aggressor, anger creates in them a rage. Is there a bull in a china closet? One who is not knowing when they will explode. So your, your friend who, who is the person who is the aggressor, excuse me, they tend to be angry about everything. Yet Christ is the humble servant, not responding to mocking or jeering as they crucify the Son of God and humiliating Him upon the cross. And number seven, the last one, the the life-sucking person is the sarcastic. They use their way of words to manipulate the situation, to humiliate someone in order to make themselves look good. Jesus declares the word of life so that we can be lifted high, be with God for all eternity. He lowers himself so that we can be exalted. Very interesting concept. As you look in our world today, Jesus is the life giver. And therefore, we as the church, the people of God who reflect the gospel, who reflect Christ in our life, the spirit of the living God in our life, we ought to be what? Life givers, not life suckers. And today we see that John opens his book declaring Jesus as the life giver because he is God, he is the creator, and he is the very source of life. So in in creation, we find Jesus is the one who gives life. My question to you this morning is this, will you ask the creator of the heavens and the earth to give you life to your weary soul this morning no doubt there are many in this room this morning including myself who are weary you've been through two years of a pandemic i was telling somebody this morning and you're trying to go from point a to point b and you're like sailing it's like sailing you can't go from point a to point b through a straight line you got to tack you got to go back and forth and back and forth, and some of you have know what I 'm talking about in your business, in your job, in your school, in your church, in your family life, in your medical, your situation, your own health, and you understand what it means to go back and forth and back and forth to get to point A to point B and you know what you are weary and you need the life giver so maybe maybe you need to be reminded of who the life giver is this morning. His name is Jesus. So let's, let's look at the very word of God as we look at, at John chapter 1, verse 1. It's heavy th- it's theology, but it, it is so imperative for us to understand the word of God. It is written to us. You can stand with me as we read the word of God together. John chapter 1, verse 1. John writes this book so that a children could understand, a child could understand what this is saying, but also that the most important scholars, biblical scholars of the world, could not fully understand all of the concepts of this word, okay? So it's simple enough for a child to understand what is written here, but it's so complex that many scholars can't fully grasp all that God wants to say about himself in his word. Let's read it together. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen? All right, you can be seated. Father, we ask as we open the book of John this morning that you give us clarity as to what you want us to hear and understand according to your word. May we see the beauty of who you are in response to our worship for you, Lord God Almighty. Father, give us give us uh, clarity of of our listening this morning, that your spirit would supernaturally allow us to understand these truths of scripture about who you are and who Christ is so that we may worship you correctly so that we ourselves may have life. Lord God, Give us strength this morning to understand these passages of Scripture that is so imperative, is so important for us as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I, I, uh, I my wife will tell you that I like to give gifts, okay? So one of my, uh, you know, I talked about it at the marriage conference, I like to spend money. And oftentimes I like to give gifts, right? With that money that I spent. So uh, if you're on the receiving end of those gifts, that's great. But for my wife, I like to get her extravagant gifts. And uh, that sometimes she, she doesn't like that, right? And sometimes that's not the greatest thing that you could do, Uh, Rob, for your wife is to get her a nice gift. But five or six years ago, I got her a gift for her birthday. I got her what she always wanted, a tree. Yeah, not what you were expecting, was it? But it was not just any tree. It was this weeping willow tree. So I went to the most logical uh, place to buy trees nowadays, which is online. And I bought a tree online. Found this weeping willow tree for $40. Waited for the mailman to deliver this weeping willow tree. And like a little kid waiting for Christmas, I waited for the tree, thinking I'll plant it in the backyard before she even sees it. Well, the tree came and it was in a cardboard box. And I thought it was a bit peculiar as I opened the box and it was a little twig with one little leaf. I took it as a sign the tree was alive, okay? Uh, Everyone that saw it laughed at me because who would buy a tree online that looks like a twig and call it a tree? And I thought to myself, I'll plant it and maybe it'll grow and have more limbs and be full. So it, so it began to grow. I planted it and it began to grow. Gave it this big thing. I, I really worked hard for this, Jordan. You know, I, I really, you know, planted this thing, <laughs> a little twig in the backyard. Make sure you don't mow over it, Rob. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. And then, it, then it grew it became eight foot tall, and uh, it grew fast. But then winter came. <laughs> yeah, that year we had some major ice storms. <laughs> the surprise uh, freezes, if you will, not good for my baby tree. Then spring came, and it rained, and it rained hard that year. Uh, we, we We had enough rain for this thing to really take off weeping willows love water but but one day I looked at it and it wasn 't growing. in fact, it looked like it was not coming back from the freeze. My weeper was gone I li- You like how I call it my weeper now, right. <clears throat> Uh, this wonderful, beautiful thing that brought us so much joy was no longer alive. It was dead. I thought to myself, probably not going online for the next tree. By the way, we, we bought two turtles online. They did not last either. <laughs> the turtle we found on the in the parking lot, it's still going about three years in. So... Someone came to the church, this was uh, in my previous church in Holdenville, and someone came to the church and uh, they were describing where they lived by their huge weeping willow tree. I mean, we're talking huge weeping willow tree in, front, in their front yard. I knew exactly what house they were talking about. And uh, I, I told them the story about our baby weeper that died that I had tried to, to grow And she said, oh, that's no problem. We'll just cut off a limb of ours, stick it in the ground, and you'll have a new one. And I thought to myself, what? Uh, Are you serious? I I thought that they were joking. Um, I'm not much of a horticulturist, but I didn't think that that could happen. But the curiosity side of me wanted to try it, right? So I did. I cut off a branch of their tree and stuck it in the place where my dead weeping willow was. And guess what? It grew. And it grew. And it grew. And winter came and it lasted through the winter and spring came and it went again. So what do you learn from all this, Rob? Number one, It's not an online store that brings you life, okay? No. We need the source of life itself to bring life. You see, John is telling us the word was uncreated. The word existed before time. In the beginning... The Word was there. And now the Word gives life. Because He gave it to His creation in the beginning. And now, when He takes on flesh, He gives it to His people. Jesus gives life to us who are dead in our trespasses and sins far from God unable to be in the presence of God because of our sin but we must go to the source of life we must go to Christ himself this is Jesus is Life. You see, the Apostle John, if, you, if you're um, wondering what book of the Bible I uh, challenge people to read bef- as they become a new believer, a new Christian, it's this book the Gospel of John. John er- actually never mentions himself in this Gospel, he only refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, write an account of Jesus' life. The history of where he went, what he said, his teachings, his arrest, the trial, the death on the cross, his resurrection. John is different. He has a different take on the other three because John looks at the life of Jesus not from an earthly perspective. He looks at it from a heavenly perspective. If Matthew, Mark, and Luke are sharing the story from an earthly perspective, John is sharing the story from a cosmic perspective of how God views the life of Christ. As a result, John doesn't tell us anything about the birth of Christ. There's nothing about the early life of Christ. There's nothing about the baptism of Christ. There's nothing about the temptation of Christ. Nothing about his transfiguration. Nothing about his travels. Nothing about the garden of Gethsemane and the agony of Christ there. There's nothing about his ascension into heaven because John is not focused on the history of his life on earth. In fact, there's no parables because parables are earthly stories. No, John is looking past all of that. John is looking to who Jesus is. And John's intent is to write this book to understand Jesus is God so that you may believe in him, so that you may have life in his name amen this prologue is you can meditate on these first 18 verses here for years and still not grasp the fullness of who Jesus is but John begins in verse 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God This is point number one. Jesus is the eternal God. Jesus is the eternal God. And John tells us right here. John uses the phrase that begins the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. in the beginning, we've heard it many times, God created the heavens and the earth. And he uses that phrase here to tell us that Jesus was there in the beginning. That he was outside of time. He was outside of space. In the beginning, Jesus was. He was, he is, and forevermore will be. At the point which all else began, he existed. Before that, Moses, uh, when he encounters the burning bush, asks God, if the people say, the God of our fathers sent you, and they ask, who is his name, what shall I tell them? And God declares his name, Yahweh, from the verb to be, literally means the one who exists, present tense, the one who exists. Tell them, I am has sent you. You see, God has no beginning. He has no end. He is not on the timeline. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was before there was a beginning. It's as much of a declaration of the preexistence of God as that there was a moment in which things created began. And in the same way, John declares the word in the beginning. The word was there in the beginning. He is not on the timeline. He pre-existed before time began. He is eternal. Now that word, the word, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? Why would he use the word? Why wouldn't he just tell us? In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Why wouldn't he just use his name? Well, all the gospel writers use a title for Jesus. John is not the first to use the title, or not the first to use a title with the title of the word for Jesus. Matthew declares him Emmanuel. God with us. Luke declares him the son of the most high or the son of God. And just as these writers understand it, John understands that this is the most important doctrine of the Christian faith. That Jesus is God in human flesh. And John maps this out clearly clearly. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you skip down to verse 14, he tells us who this Word is. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is God. The word is Jesus, God, taking on flesh. Now, the word, it comes pretty natural for those who have read the Old Testament. As we see throughout the Old Testament, this phrase, the word of the Lord. This divine power and wisdom of God. But even the Greeks had an idea of what the word logos meant. As if it was this abstract reason or principle in which ordered the universe, interestingly enough. And so John takes this word from both Hebrew and Greek and combines it to, to give this title to who Christ is. And John really wants us to go to creation here. He he wants us to understand that Jesus is involved in creation. All things are created through him. Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. You see, the triune God is there in creation, and John wants us to take us. To Genesis chapter 1, so let's go there for a minute. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said... The word spoken from God. God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Now we see the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, active in creation in the first three verses of the Bible. You say, Where's God the Son? And God said, God spoke. How? By His word. Let there be light. The spirit of the living God was hovering over the waters and God was doing the creation. God created. So you have all three right there in creation. So this is how we understand the phrase, the word was with God and the word was God. This is what we call the trinity or the triune God. God is one, three distinct beings or three distinct persons. God Himself, the best way to understand this Trinity is God Himself has perfect fellowship and perfect love in Himself. You see, there's a variety of reasons that, that, that there is only one God three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. But one of the reasons is he doesn't need his creation to have fellowship. The Father and the Son and the Spirit have perfect fellowship with one another before the creation of us. He doesn't need us to have perfect fellowship. He has perfect, perfection in of himself. It's a sacrifice for him to create. Knowing one day he would have to come down. As God, as the word would become flesh and dwell among his creation. So how do we know that the father, son, or three distinct persons yet are one? Because John tells us. That right here, the word was with God in perfect fellowship with God, distinct from God the Father, distinct from God the Spirit, and yet the word was God. It's a triune God. Distinct yet one. The Greek scholars understand this in the Greek. It's written as to make it super clear that the word is not the Father, yet they are one. In this case, they would not be interchangeable as the Father and the Word. One could not say the Father and the Son are the same person, yet he must also say that they are one. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Perfect love, perfect fellowship existing in the triune God. A lot lot of stuff right there, okay? I understand that. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. He reiterates this statement. In case you missed it in the explanation of the triune God, Jesus was there in the beginning. All right? This is just making the gospel so much real to you. I hope, I hope it is. Because if you don't have a correct understanding of who Jesus is, there is no way you can play, place your faithfully in Jesus let me, let me let me help you understand that say pastor, help me all right help me pastor I'm, I'm struggling I'm drowning and the word was with God the word was't help me pastor let me help you. The simple fact is, how can you put your full weight and trust upon Christ if he is not God? How can you place your full weight upon yourself on the ground and saying, I need Jesus if he is not fully God? Now, he also has to be fully man. Why? Because he is the fulfillment of the covenant. He is the full fulfillment of the covenant in which man made with God. God himself takes on flesh, which makes the incarnation that much more of a sacrifice that the creator has now entered into his creation to save it. Verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. All right, what does that mean? Point number two, Jesus created all things. If you read that in the ESV, it it sounds a little confusing. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. He he repeats himself quite a bit in this section, doesn't he? John's making it clear that there are no mistakes. Why? Why? Because people for centuries have made this mistake. They have said that Jesus is created. He is not created. And John makes it very clear here in verse 3. All things were made through him and Jesus was not made because nothing without him was made that was made. John is reiterating, just in case you missed it, Jesus made all things. He was not created because all things were made through him. So one of the biggest issues we have in our world today is false teaching on this topic. Denying the deity of Christ. it's core issue from all of the false religions you can you can go all, one by one muslims mormons jehovah witness i can continue on and on they deny christ as god and you say what well, well, that's why is that a problem Pastor, anyone denying Jesus as the eternal God who created all things denies the Jesus of the Bible and cannot receive God's gift of salvation because they have rejected who Christ is. That's one of the reasons why we have a team in Provo right now is because the Mormons believe that Jesus is a created being and thus deny the Jesus of the gospel of John. A perversion of Christ is a perversion of God himself and thus worshiping a false God. You see, right doctrine produces right worship and right worship produces glory to God. Worship of of the one true God in the wrong way is idolatry. I think of the story of Israel after God had rescued them up from Egypt, has destroyed the army of the Egyptians, has showed himself on the mountain. He's parted the Red Sea, they've walked across the Red Sea. They say, we, we don't know what's happened to this Moses let's build this golden calf. So they melt their gold and and they form this golden calf. And you know what Aaron says? Say, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. One cannot worship God how we want and call it good. Unfortunately, the Mormons Do not worship the Jesus of the Bible. They have created their own Jesus to satisfy their desires, their wants, and their needs. A lack of worship of Jesus as God has serious consequences as it is a perversion of who Jesus is and leads to demonic influences against Christ rather than for Christ. So this is a serious topic. I know it's, it's weighty for us, but all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus created all things. This doctrine of creation also has come under attack in recent years. Some claiming that science actually points us to evolution. That goes against directly what the word of God says here. That Jesus created all things. That God himself, through the word, through Jesus, the agent of creation, created all things. Throughout the history of science, science has shown us that theories are ever-changing. As more and more information and data is understandable to science, what was thought of as assured results of science yesterday is questioned, in some cases, untrue today. And that very well could be in days ahead with science as well. Even Einstein changed his view on the universe and if it was expanding during his own lifetime. The amazing results of science has brought about a complexity of replication of DNA, intricate, interlocking laws of physics, and absolute harmony of conditions and chemistry that serve to support the message of the Bible in recent days. You might not have heard about that in school because they took that out. But science should be studied to see God's intelligent design. But as we study science, we must be we must be understanding that we are fallible human beings that do not understand all that God has done and has created, and we must not compromise the eternal, infallible Word of God for something we perceive as assured. Science. So what does the word of God say in Psalm 19, 1? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You see, one of the reasons why John wants to point us to creation is that we see the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of God through Christ Jesus coming and taking on flesh and dying on the cross, is that we see it all around us. We see it when we go on a hike. We see it in the beauty of creation, in God's order, in His design. Al Mohler actually had an address of, uh, and in his his uh, speech was why the universe looks so old, and he offers two suggestions to consider from a biblical perspective to answer the question of why the universe looks so old. This is his. His words, the universe looks old because the creator made it whole. When he made Adam, Adam was not a fetus. Adam was a man. He had the appearance of a man. By our understanding that would have required time for Adam to get old, but not by the sovereign creative power of God. He put Adam in the garden. The garden was not merely seeds, it was fertile. fecund, mature garden. The Genesis account clearly claims that God created and made things whole. The second thing he says is, if I'm asked, why does the universe look so old? I have to say it looks old because it bears testimony to the effects of sin and testimony of the judgment of God. It bears the effects of the catastrophe of the flood, the catastrophes innumerable thereafter. I would suggest to you that the world looks old because as Paul says in Romans chapter eight, it is groaning. And in its groaning, it does look old. It gives us empirical evidence of the reality of sin. And even in this cosmos is the theater of God's glory. It is the theater of God's glory for the drama of redemption that takes place here on this planet in telling the story of the redemptive love of God. Uh, people way smarter than me, right, know a lot more than I do. But Al Mohler gives a suggestion for us as Bible-believing Christians why the universe is old. And John, here in the text, is reminding us creation is pointing us to Jesus. So what is the point here? John is trying to make about Jesus being God, Jesus being the agent of creation, which God created. What's the point? Verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is our last point. Jesus is the source of life. I believe John here is taking us back to the initial creation. And God said, let there be light. And he's showing us Jesus is the life giver of creation. And now Jesus is the life giver of the new creation through the spirit of the living God. If Jesus can bring to life the entire universe, then he can certainly bring to life your dead soul. The life giver of the universe can create the physical universe. He can certainly breathe life into a heart that is hardened by sin and is deserving the wrath of God. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Lest his works should be exposed, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Think of your body as complete darkness, utterly sinful, and Jesus comes in to your soul, your mind, your spirit. And ignites just a touch of light. It begins to overwhelm the darkness of your soul, what you feel guilty about in the past, your sin, your regrets, that's been paid for on the cross by Jesus. Jesus says I am the light coming into your life to bring the spirit of the living God into your heart mind, body, soul so that you can have life because I created you to reflect my image my glory and now you will reflect the image of the living god not because of what you have done but what i have done upon the cross for you i created i came down i paid for your sins so that you could live Jesus says, I am making all things new. Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth will resurrect those who are his, will come and be with him. He will give them new bodies that are not marred by sin. And Revelation, which John writes, tells us there will not be any more darkness. Revelation 21:22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will, never, there will be no more night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever into it, nor ever anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The darkness has not overcome the lights. Why? because God created and knew that man would succumb to the darkness and yet he himself would come to bring light. You see, when we understand the beauty of who Jesus is, we fall flat on our face on the floor and we say, we are deserving. We only can worship you. We are undeserving of your salvation. You are the God of the universe. You created all things. You provided for us the lamb that was slain. You provided for us the salvation to be with you for eternity. You brought light into our dark world, and all we can do is serve you completely with our whole heart, mind, body, and spirit. There is nothing in us except our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Church, do we wanna have life? We must see God, see Christ for who he is and respond to him alone. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. We thank you that you are the life giver, that you bring life to our weary souls Help us to understand, Lord God, all that you are doing in creation and coming in the incarnation to take on flesh and dwell among men, then to die upon a cross. Father, we know that there are people in here that the darkness has covered them completely. They're in need of Jesus to come and shine light into their, their world. And Father, we are asking them to humbly submit and believe upon Christ for salvation, to repent of their way and their love of the darkness and to run towards the light, the light of life. because you want to do a new work in them. You want to make them a new creation. Just as you created the heavens and the earth, you want your people to be made new. Father, if there's anyone among here this morning that needs to be made new, may they humbly come forward, repent of their sin, ask the living God to save them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar is open for prayer. Kyle's going to lead us in worship this morning. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh,